is on, so if you have not gone out yet, now's your chance. All right. We are reading from Psalm... Psalm 37. No, 73. <laughs> Surely God is good to Israel's, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet has almost slipped. I have nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by they're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They, are clothed, they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of, the, of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on a slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. My heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom I have in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You, de you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all all your deeds. Excellent. Okay, that was excellent. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Etienne, and I get to. Uh, as Jess said, jump back into uh, a set of sermons that we're doing through the book of Psalms. Uh, we've got four more to go. We've done three. Four more to go for 
Well, that'll take us up to Christmas. Would you believe it? Uh, <laughs> we can delve into a Christmas series after that. Um, I'm not great with directions and driving. In fact, my wife always does most of the tricky driving because I usually get lost. And any other males here happy to confess that you're not good at directions and driving? I'm doing it. I'm leading the way here. Yeah, Ton says yes, he too. I'm on my own. Sorry, it's just... Sorry, boys. Ton and I, the weaklings, we don't get it right. Too often I, I drive along the road and I, I look around me and I go, this doesn't look right, what I see around me. It just doesn't look right. I must be lost. I'm certain that I'm lost. And so I'd stop and I'd pull over and humbly pull out the phone and crack open the map to see where I actually am. And if I'm lucky enough to have a mobile reception, uh, a map might lift me up a bit. And with a broader perspective and, and looking from the Google's satellite's point of view on my situation, I might see that, no. No, I'm actually right where I need to be. I'm in the right spot. The directions <laughs> that the person who gave me are actually correct. All this empty, lost paddocks around me, that's where I need to be. This psalm is a little bit like that. It, he, he talks about a disconnect between what he believes and what he sees around him in his life, the writer of this psalm. He, he, here's what he... Let's just look a little bit into it and then I'll, and then I'll start applying this to us. He says, I know, I know that God is good. I know that God is good to his children. I know that God is good to me. God is a good God and it's good to be a child of his. Surely that's true. I know that. But, when I look around me, when I see what is going on around me, I don't see that God is all that good. I, like me in the car, there's a disconnect between where I think I am, but where it looks like I am. It doesn't look like I am where I should be. Asaph, the guy who writes the psalm, is saying the same thing about God. He, he, he goes on, he says, you know what, in fact, my foot almost slipped because I envied the arrogant. I, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now remember, the wicked, we're not talking pedophiles and rapists and the worst of the worst of humanity here. It's a, it's a bit of a harsh word the psalm uses, but he's essentially talking about anybody who, who would not make God the center of their lives. Living how God wants us to live in his plans and purposes for us, right? That's the, that's the thing we've got to bear in mind. And, and Asaph says, 
I look at people like that, and you know what? It's going well with them. It's going so much better with them than it's going with me. I who take God seriously, I park Him in the center of my life. It's not going well with me. It's going very well with them. In, in fact, he then goes on and all these things he mentions. He says, they have no struggles. And that's not entirely true. I think he oversells it. But, but it seems that they have no struggles. They're healthy. They're strong. They're free from human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. They get very proud and arrogant. Right? Uh, their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. How could God know? How could you say that God knows anything? They say. Clearly not. Because look how not well it's going with you. And look how well it's going with me. God knows nothing. You're a fool for taking God seriously. That's the talk that he sees the wicked talk, right? You know, I think, I think Asaph is the single Christian woman whose marriage came to an end. Her ex is now happily married, living in the house of her dreams with the second wife. She thinks of his dreams, the car, the holidays. While she, in being faithful to God, is barely able to survive, he thrives. Asaph is the business owner who refuses to run his business for a seventh day a week to ensure he worships, he rests, and yet he knows his competitor is stifling him on the best trading day of the week. He looks on his competitor who's buying the second branch and the next set of cars for the business and he thinks, wow, he is doing well. <laughs> I am not. Surely... God is good to me, but I'm not sure if I'm going to see the year out. I'm not sure if the books are going to balance. He's the young person, teenagers, young adults. You've already tuned out. Tune in for me for a bit. You know, the guy who writes the psalm is you. When you're missing out on Saturday's party, when everybody is going and you're thinking they get to be able to do what they want, when they want, with whoever they want, God is good, but you're alone on Saturday night. You're not there again. Asaph's the executive of a football club. Right? Who's fired because of his faith. The other executives are doing well. Surely God's good to me, but I'm out of a job. Asaph's the Christian who gives generously from their money, their strength, and time to others while watching the much-needed backyard renovation not getting done for another eight months because we don't have the time, we don't have the money to do it because we're giving it into the cause of Christ and we watch the neighbours and it's, you know, just... So nice looking over there. <laughs> They're ready for summer because they can work there on Sunday mornings and do the renovations and spend the money, right? Asaph's the pastor 
who sees his peers from youth all immensely successful in careers, investments and businesses with so much more incentive and he is merely the faithful shepherd of a small local church community with multiple problems to address in an endless ocean of brokenness, his own included. And saying, surely, there must be easier ways to live. Lastly, Asaph is the person who's lived a faithful life serving God who's afflicted with multiple illnesses and suffering. While the godless, immoral, are fine. (laughs) You see his problem? Is it your problem? Are you in that spot today? Have you been in that spot? Have you, like Asaph, said, surely this isn't worth it? Surely, in vain, Am I going through all this stuff? Surely in vain am I making God the centre of my life when it doesn't pay off? When it's not worth it? Now, let me hover here and just say if that is you today, if it has been you in the past, it certainly will be you in the future. Don't pretend that that is not how you feel. Right? Take a wonderful example from this man, Asaph. Notice what does he not do? (laughs) He doesn't make any bones about it. (laughs) He straight up says to God, in a moment of humble honesty, God, I'm having doubts. I doubt that it's worth it. I, I doubt that it's worth going through all of this, and this man Asaph, he, for, for our purposes, the pastor, sort of the head pastor of his day and age, man who's supposed to be closest to God in sheer, raw, harsh honesty. God, I don't think it's worth it. I'm not sure that you're worth it. Will you be that honest? Are you that honest with yourself? Can you be that honest, perhaps with a Christian friend? Can you be that honest, perhaps with God himself. The Psalms rightly invite you to be honest. That's why the Psalm is there. It shows you that you're not alone. It shows you that someone infinitely more spiritual than you had this battle. And this is what he did. He, I don't say he proclaims it, he confesses it, he states it, he says, this is how it is for my heart and my relationship with God. And only after this now does the whole psalm sort of change, right? Because what he does now is he pulls over, pulls the phone out, cracks the maps open and says, I think I'm lost, maybe I need to see where am I actually? And this is what he does. Whoops, don't tell me I haven't put that on. Here I have. He says, you know, 
When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood what was going on. Here's the question for us. What does it mean? What does it mean to say, I entered the sanctuary of God? For Asaph, an Old Testament man, it would have meant he went to the temple of the day. I'm not going to explain a whole heap of the temple, but it's a place where God's people then had to go to worship. What did he see there? What happened there that made him swing his whole view around about how he sees his life? There's a lot of writing about that, but I'll say a few things that we can probably be certain of that he definitely saw. He definitely saw an altar where a sacrifice was made for the forgiveness of his sins. He saw what you and I are going to see today when we celebrate this supper. <laughs> he, saw, he saw a God who loved him that much that he would have forgiveness of his sins. He was reminded of what he has and the value of that. At the temple, he heard God speak to him. God speaks to us when we gather, when we read his word. He prayed in a way, and I think this was unique in the temple. I think it's unique in church. You pray on your own, but you pray together with others. You know what happens when you pray, when you hear God's word, when you're reminded of the sacrifice that was made in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? All of a sudden, everything changes. Here's what changes. Worship puts God at the center of your vision. It's vitally important because it's only when God is at the center of your vision that you see things as they really are. <laughs> you see how important it is? You see how important it is for us to come here today to do what we're doing? Because this puts God back at the center of what we see. We're reminded that, yes, what I have in Christ is of inestimable value. And I have him. He's mine. My sin's forgiven. All that is not right about me, forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm restored. I'm redeemed. God loves me. I am his he is mine. I am where I'm supposed to be. No matter what it looks like around me, I am where I'm supposed to be. This is why we worship God. It's why we enter the sanctuary of God. You see the real truth that he then goes on to explain in the rest of the psalm, and I'll deal with it fairly quickly are the implications of what God reminds him of when he worships. Three things. Now that he sees clearly, he understands that really the wicked are living a dream. I dream sometimes. There's a unicorn, a pink unicorn, 
And then there's my year four teacher who I really loved, and my best friend who lives in Perth, and Marty's children one day, who are all in this dream, and it's a wonderful dream, and I love it. It's, it's such a joyous, humorous thing for me, and I'm so fond of the dream, and you know what happens? I wake up, and then I can't remember the dream. And then it's not there anymore because it's not real. It's gone. <laughs> and I think Asaph is saying to us, you know, what you see around you, the prosperity of those, prosperity, they're not. They're not real. They're not going to last. They're going to be gone. All those things one day, we're going to wake up in the manifest presence of God. And the only thing that's going to be real is this. It's him, he who created us, he who loves us, he who gave his son for us, he in whose presence we will spend an eternity. That is real and all else that appears so real yet worthless will be gone. Just like my unicorn and every other dream. Right? That's a perspective that you get out of worshipping God. Number two, here's a fascinating thing. He says... Chasing the dream of prosperity in this life and of the wicked will turn you into a beast. The dream turns you into a beast that destroys others. Did you get his words here? He says, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. The single woman whose jealousy and hatred of her ex become so bitter in her soul that she destroys her children's understanding of fatherhood and God's greatness in marriage. The business owner who becomes so obsessed with succeeding that he completely wrecks his marriage and his relationship with his children as he works the 80 or 90 hour weeks for his family, wrecks his family. The young person who literally becomes a party animal eventually becomes a caged animal bound by a desire to prove yourself in videos and pics on TikTok. Owned by the approval of others. Not the God who set you free and who loves you just as you are. Christian who starts living for themselves, stops giving, become a spoiled and vicious animal who does nothing for others, lives only for themselves, and then gets anxious when the cost of your lifestyle can't get maintained. The pastor starts to forsake his calling, starts to do some business on the side to keep up with his successful peers and the corporate manic of this world soon becomes an aggressive beast who hurts or neglects those under his care. The suffering person who abandons God senselessly also abandons all hope for a renewed and a restored glorious future in God <laughs> through whom that is possible. You see? I'm not downplaying the, 
the here and now reality of the, the grief and bitterness that you face. But you have a choice, like Asaph had a choice. Either it's going to lead you to pursue the dream of the wicked, or it's going to lead you another way. It's going to lead you Asaph's way. You're going to come to this sanctuary, you're going to worship God, and then you might say exactly what he said as we finish off. I'm just going to read those words as they are because they can't be improved on. Here's his conclusion after all that. (laughs) He says, yet, I'm always with you. God, you hold me by my right hand. Your God is with you. No matter how bitter your bitterness is, or how hurtful your grief is, you hold me by the right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel. Now and afterward, yes, a time is coming when you'll take me to glory. And that's what tomorrow afternoon is about. Testimony of this. Testimony of a life lived that was guided by God's counsel and the time has come where God has said, I will take you into glory. And yes, it was worth it for Manel. It will be worth it for you too. It will be worth it for me. Whom am I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. What a declaration. The only thing I need, the only thing I want, the only thing that matters to me is God. (laughs) My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. How I pray that that would be real to me when it matters. Real to me when I doubt. Real to me when I wonder that in those moments I can say, Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine. (laughs) Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I pray that today as we celebrate this sacrament that we would be reminded of those words. You have it all. And just before I pray, can I ask that if you are not certain about this, If you're here and you don't believe in God, if you're listening to this on Zoom, if you have family who wrestles with this, who wrestle with this, um, can I ask you to consider whether there is something of greater worth in life that you do not yet have? If you're living the dream, but the dream continues to prove unsatisfying, not filling you, not giving you the peace, the hope, the purpose that you need, particularly through death, would you consider this? Would you consider the words of this man, Asaph? Would you consider that somehow, strange as it may be, the idea of God could be all that you need, adding all that's missing, filling all that's empty, satisfying every thirst. Please, pray with me. Father, thank you that this is who you are. 
you are worth it. And while we know that, at the very same time we too often don't know it as we should. We doubt it. And Lord, I thank you that you invite us to come to you as I would want to now on behalf of anyone here who needs to say this morning that we doubt that you're worth it. (laughs) There are times when we quite frankly want more what the world around us has than wanting you. Perhaps it's one of our biggest problems. Will you help us? In the weakness of our faith, will you remind us? In your grace, would you give us such moments in worship that the map of where we truly are will be so clear? And the truth and the wonder of your glory and your grace will be so powerfully imprinted on our hearts that we can do nothing but exclaim the same things as Asa. God, how strange and divine. All things truly are mine. What else do I need? Who else do I need? But the one I already have. Remind us. Grow us. Steep us into this glorious reality that we are yours and you are ours and nothing changes that. We pray, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to sing a song that will both prepare us for the Lord's Supper and um, just capture some of the stuff.